When Dorothy's ex-husband comes to town on business, well, one thing leads to another. And before Dorothy knows it, she's inundated with flowers and words of love. But just how sincere is Stan? Has he actually changed his cheating ways? Do the ladies really need that much mustard? All of that and more in today's episode, Stan's Return. It's a beautifully sunny day in Miami as we approach the house and enter the kitchen, finding Blanche in an adorable yellow sweater while making tea. So maybe it's not that warm out. The whistle of the teapot turns into a gleeful whistle from Blanche as she and Rose are clearly giddy about something. The gals are planning a trip to Martinique. Part of the French West Indies, Martinique is located in the Caribbean, just 1,400 miles southeast of Miami. It's just over 400 square miles with a population around 373,000. With mountains and beautiful beaches, it's no wonder it's known as the Isle of Flowers. And yes, Blanche, they do speak French, so you better brush up on your oui and non votricoque which is French for, no, your roommate can't watch. <laughs> I knew that. Can't you tell I'm fluent? Not knowing they are looking to plan a vacation, when Sophia enters the kitchen and overhears Rose rattling off places like Williamsburg, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., she mistakes them as places Rose might be moving to and gives her a very not heartfelt, uh, too bad. Rose clarifies that the three girls are planning a vacation together, leaving the not-so-girlish Sophia at home to watch the house. Sophia is, not surprisingly, not pleased. Dorothy arrives, and Sophia's bitterness isn't even attempting to be hidden. To make the point she knows she's not invited on the trip, she remarks that Brooke Shields, unlike Dorothy, takes her mother everywhere. What Sophia is referencing is how it was a bit of a public spectacle that Brooke's single mom and momager, eat dirt Kris Jenner, were always together and that Terry, Brooke's mother, chose scandalous roles for her teenage daughter. At just 13 years old, Brooke held an intervention for her mother's alcoholism, but it didn't take. Brooke has since written the memoir, There Was a Little Girl, which details her and her mother's relationship. Side note, while researching this, I learned that Brooke was a fellow late bloomer like me and didn't lose her virginity. I say that because it's like, whatever, not a thing to be lost by a woman, but okay. Anyway, she lost it when she was 22. But here's the kicker. It was to that potato head tripper, Dean Kane, TV's Superman himself. He did not deserve her. It's just wildly upsetting. Wildly. She's very... Like, let's talk about things and let's talk about mental health and taking care of people. I don't think she speaks out politically, but you can kind of get an idea where she leans. And then you have Dean. Like, could you imagine that would be the worst part of being famous would be having famous exes and then you just see them everywhere. Yeah. Even 30 years later to see the guy you lost your virginity to. I have moments where I see the guy I lost my virginity to and I'm like, "Uh, oh, what was I thinking? But to see him turn into like, I'm going to hold rallies for Trump and just be a big... Yeah, I wonder what he was like. Idiot potato. I wonder what Dean Kane was like, you know. Probably a lot cooler. Here's a thing I've noticed. <laughs> for this, for celebrities. Yeah. Worse the career, mm. the more the... The more the... The more the extreme, because it gets mm-hmm. them the attention. That's wrong. Would we be talking about Scott Bayo if he wasn't a major guy? I would. I love Zapped. 
Dorothy had put off telling her mom and was probably a bit relieved the girls did the dirty work for her. Once again, let's dissect Dorothy's clothes. Still unclear what the temperature is, she's wearing a thin white shirt and a cover that has two types of sleeves, the lower sleeve being that of a heavy, baggy lavender sweater, while the top of the sleeve has like multiple ruffles. This is all on top of a beige, I'm a substitute teacher skirt. It's really something. Dorothy casually mentions that for her, the trip will be to New York, but Blanche wants an island, not Manhattan Island, an island that a man who doesn't speak English will rub oil all over her body. I'm really not sure if this is an oh boy or an oh boy that's just accurate when Dorothy points out that she can get all that on the subway. She says swarthy. Is that something? Oh, swarthy. I feel like there may be a connotation there that's inappropriate. You know what? Naughty. You're right. That's an oh boy right there. I didn't really catch that it was swarthy, but yeah, she means kind of like yeah. a little bit nefarious, a little bit, uh, he's probably a criminal because mm-hmm. he's on an island or Con whatever. <gasps> yeah. So some sort of beach person. You know what? Steal your purse. That's oh an boy. oh boy. Yeah. This interaction actually reminds me of a time I was rubbed with oil by a stranger. <laughs> You've always got a story. (laughs) Always. That's why I love the show so much. We can all relate to it on different levels. Some people relate to living with their mom and they're older. Some people relate to getting rubbed by strangers with oil. My best friend Matt and I were up at one of our favorite spots, Bagby Hot Springs, which is located deep in the Mount Hood National Forest. It's about 69 miles from Portland. Nice. It's really actually 67, but why miss the opportunity? So once you're there, you hike about a half a mile in to find groups of tubs, one that holds a lot of people. There are some smaller ones for just a few people. And they actually used to have these private rooms with logs in them, these private rooms for two. And I'm sure nothing went down in those rooms that hasn't been seen in Blanche's. So Matt and I go and decide to go into the big tub. There were already a handful of other people soaking in the scalding hot water as Matt and I climbed in. Given that he and I are so close, we're basically like siblings, we didn't follow the crowd and go nude like everyone else did. So we're sitting there soaking when suddenly this white dude with way more dreadlocks than swim trunks who started to engage in conversation with me, it was super normal, you know, keeping Oregon weird. We're just chatting And then he starts talking about the magic of essential oils and how amazing they are with the hot water. And I had to try it. So I was being nice and talking to him. And I agreed that they sounded lovely. And then he pulled them out. And I was like, oh, yeah, they smell lovely, too. Great. And then he basically was like, why should I just tell you about it when I can show you? And before I knew anything, he filled his hands with oil and was vigorously rubbing it into my shoulders. (laughs) And I stared across the tub at Matt kind of like pleading with my eyes, please make this stop. But Matt just laughed and shrugged. And I continued to like smile at the guy and say, okay, thank you. This is lovely. And I'm sure he was high on who knows what. While it was all very creepy and he was kind of a jerk for not getting consent, it makes for a good story. And uh, it wasn't the worst massage of my life. Before the laughter stops from the subway joke, Sophia is back and she has news. Stan, Dorothy's ex, who we haven't seen since episode two, is back. When discussing him, we get our first of many bachigaloops. Bachigaloop is Italian slang that basically means an idiot, dummy, or goof, which, as we will learn, is a pretty good word to sum Stan up. Sophia is still upset about the trip, but Dorothy can't deal with that right now. She's got an ex to tend to. While Stan's trademark, hi, it's me, hasn't started, we do get to pull out our Stanley Zabornak hair bingo card. If you had full toupee with a hearty mustache, mark it off. Dorothy has come a long way from just a few weeks ago when we saw her growling at Stan's presence. They joke about how awful their sex life was towards the end of their marriage, Dorothy getting the final burn in on how bad it was, and Stan agreeing he's glad it's over. It's some original, that's what she said jokes. Sophia, never one to mince words, asks Stan if he brought his much younger, new wife, the flight attendant he left Dorothy for. This actually gives us an oh boy, as Sophia refers to Chrissy as a young chippy, which sounds harmless enough, but was actually a slang term for prostitute, or as we would say now, a sex worker. 
I understand that she's the other woman and is perceived as having something to do with Dorothy and Stan's marriage falling apart. But first of all, Stan cheated on Dorothy, not Chrissy's fault. Secondly, the way they talk about their marriage, it's like, are you guys really that upset that it's over? You can barely stand one another. So play nice, Sophia. Dorothy stops Sophia from being cruel and follows up with the less harmful bimbo, meaning she's cute, but that's about all she has to offer. The bimbo Chrissy, which could you find a more 80s name, didn't make the journey across the pond. Now, I know that term is usually reserved for going from the U.S. to Europe, but I feel it should be applicable regarding Hawaii to Miami. I fully second that idea. Thank you. Yes. Somehow, even though they were basically teenagers with a baby on the way, the newlyweds Bornax made it from New York City to Miami for a honeymoon. Not only that, but while they were there, they bought a piece of property? Excuse you? How is this even possible? Where did this money come from? Also, you would hope to retire there someday? I know we should all be planning for our future and retirements, but can't it wait until after your honeymoon? Sophia is cautious of the contract Stan is having Dorothy sign. That's because the last time they signed something, she ended up in Shady Pines. Out of habit, Stan calls Dorothy babe, which through the years I do sort of love. She hates it for obvious reasons. No one wants a pet name from their cheating ex. But there's something about how he says it, almost like babe is reserved for Dorothy alone. Even Chrissy doesn't get babe. As Dorothy goes through the paperwork, she realizes that in order to sign it, they need a notary. A notary public is an official of integrity appointed by state government, typically by the Secretary of State, to serve the public as an impartial witness in performing a variety of official fraud turn acts related to the signing of important documents. These official acts are called notarizations or notarial acts. Notaries are publicly commissioned as ministerial officials, meaning they are expected to follow written rules without the exercise of significant personal discretion, as would otherwise be the case with a judicial official. That's a fancy way of saying you basically use a notary to confirm that the person signing an important document is the person they say they are. With a kiss on the cheek, Stan makes some vague plans to meet Dorothy at the notary's the next day. He gives his goodbyes and unwelcome compliments, leaving Dorothy to ponder why she ever married him. While Dorothy's question was rhetorical, Sophia has no problem responding. Because Stan knocked her up. In the 1860s, brothels, places you can go to to pay for sex, would be referred to as knocking shops. There was also the euphemism of knock for having sex, hence the term knocked up, a.k.a. pregnant. As Sophia reminds Dorothy of her mistakes, she makes a pondering face, but also a bit of a maybe-not-trying-to-laugh face, as the audience really gets a good laugh out of that one, and how long Sophia just lets it hang in the air. Dorothy doesn't know any better than to not keep asking questions to her mother, so she follows up with, and why did I let that happen? Here we get into one of the biggest, oh boys, of the entire series. The backstory of how Dorothy got pregnant after the high school prom. Obviously, I'll get more into it as the series continues, and there are more focused conversations, but in this episode, Sophia's response as to why she let Stan knock her up is because Stan got the underage Dorothy drunk. So while Stan does grow on me and becomes one of my favorite characters, there is always an underlying yuck factor, as it is made very clear through years of conversation that Dorothy was either drunk or drugged and was you know, taken advantage of by the man who would be the father to her children and eventual husband. Yet the fault always, even from her own mother, falls on Dorothy. Dorothy then comes to her senses and realizes that Sophia is not the one to commiserate with when it comes to Stan, and they end the conversation. In a rare, especially up to this point in the series, outdoor shot, we see that Stan and Dorothy are meeting at a cafe. Stan, getting a large sandwich from the counter, tries to sell Dorothy on the great food they have. She barely wants her coffee and quickly starts throwing shade at the not-there-to-defend-herself Chrissy, asking if the little woman is keeping him on a healthy diet. What a jerk she is to care for her husband. Little woman, by the way, is just an English term for woman or wife. It's not very cute. As someone that lived in Las Vegas for some time, I can tell you that you do become acclimated to the temperature. So even though it's maybe December, but a whopping, say, 69 degrees out, you're so used to the high 80s that you might grab a sweater or a wrap. Nice. Is that too late? 
No, that's perfect. Thank you. But never in my time in Vegas did I get so acclimated that I would go out in a button-up shirt under a heavy sweater, but not Stan and Dorothy. They are the 80s sweater mommy and daddy of our dreams. Dorothy with a gorgeous and once again lavender floral sweater, while Stan is basically every dad in the 80s with his light blue shirt under his dark teal corded sweater. It is real nice, and I want both of them. Please and thank you. As Dorothy goes on about Chrissy clearly wanting to talk badly about her, Stan asks to change the subject, but Dorothy is pissed and has no desire to do so. They are barely getting along, and now that they've sold their honeymoon property, their connections are dwindling. Stan wants to have a moment, maybe even drive out to see the property they no longer own. Hearing how stupid that idea is, Dorothy is like, hard pass. Then Stan breaks down and starts crying. Through his tears, he bumbles out the words, She left me. Dorothy is shocked as Stan continues. In a beautiful moment of irony, he also shares that she left him for a younger man. Dorothy, doing the same math we all did, doesn't immediately offer condolences. Instead, she asks if she met her new beau at Camp Snoopy. At one point, there were two Camp Snoopies in America. One opened in the middle of the Mall of America in 1992. The other, which, unlike the Mall of America camp, is still around today and is the one Dorothy is referencing, that is the Camp Snoopy at Knott's Berry Farm in California. She's implying the new boyfriend came from there because it's a special part of the theme park that offers rides for children 12 and younger. Have you ever been to Camp Snoopy? I think I've been to Camp Snoopy. I mean, it's just a part of Knott's Berry Farm, I think, that you go to. Yeah, it looked like it's basically Toontown of Disneyland yeah. for people that are more familiar with that, where it's just designed to be more kid-friendly, yeah, not necessarily I feel a separate I, place. I've, I've been to Knott's Berry Farm a bunch because I grew up in Southern California, and the there's like Camp Snoopy, which is for kids. Everything else is like the scariest ride <laughs> on earth. Yeah. It's so scary. Montezuma's Revenge scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Oh, also, fun fact. I'm sorry. Hot tip mm. for anyone in the area. You don't have to go to Knott's Berry Farm, but if you swing by, you can stop and get some of the best darn fried chicken I've ever had. Really? That, that can be had. It's delicious. And <laughs> Knott's has some of the best syrups in the I was going to say, and, the, and you can get all them jams oh and God. syrups. Boysenberry syrup from oh, Knott's. Yeah. Forget it. Forget it. And then go get it. <laughs> The reason that the Mall of America one closed is they were basically like, there's only so many characters we can use. And this is also like a very old reference. So basically they came to the same terms that you and I have, which is peanuts suck. They're the, they're the worst. I've gotten in way too many fights in my life about the peanuts and people defending them. Anyone that wants to can, can, can write in a defense. <laughs> yes, or... please explain. Or um, a damning accusation. Yeah. Or... And this is not to take away. So what they did, the Mall of America, they turned it into Nickelodeon. So mm-hmm. that way they can do SpongeBob. And then as the shows get popular, they can kind of, then they have all these things to choose from. But yeah, if you want to, I'm not saying you can't like Peanuts because like, oh, I grew up, my dad and I would look at the comic in the paper or that was me and my grandparents. Thing. I'm not talking about Mm-mm. the emotional importance. I'm saying take a step back. And realize that every one of those characters ha- is having a mental health crisis, and they would all be my students at my old school. I mean, even down to the bird. <laughs> <laughs> Stan's scrunched face is still begging for comfort and support, while Dorothy has zero interest in providing it. She knows how much it hurts to be left by your partner, and now the partner that caused her such pain is experiencing the same pain he put her through. Stan starts to share about how it all went down, that she left a few months ago saying they weren't sexually compatible. Dorothy gets another Chrissy dig in by pointing out there's no way she said all that. Those words are way too big for her. Dorothy compliments Stan on how he's handling things, leading to him breaking down again as he admits he ain't doing too well and he's still waiting for Dorothy's I told you so. Now that Dorothy's emotions are involved, she indulges in half of Stan's sandwich and agrees to go on the ride with him to go look at the property and to go to the place they went to dinner when they bought the land. When I was younger, I always saw this as a sweet moment where Dorothy is there for Stan no matter what, even post-divorce, basically being a good friend. 
But now as an adult, watching him cry, then immediately talk Dorothy into doing things she already said she didn't want to do, well, it just screams manipulative attachment disorder. This behavior coming from someone that openly copulated with an unconscious teenager? Oh no, am I hating Stan? Not satisfied with Dorothy agreeing to the two-hour drive to see the land, Stan pushes it and alludes to the same outcome the last time that they went to the restaurant, rushing back to the hotel room, obviously for some whoopee. Dorothy goes full Brooklyn in her response, reminding him that that rush was due to the fact that he had gotten them a crappy lunch that day and he had to get to the room because he had diarrhea. It's the next morning and we find Sophia, Blanche, and Rose are in the kitchen. Blanche is wearing a nightgown, I think. I don't know what she's cooking on the stove, but I am very worried one of her flowy, ruffled, light yellow sleeves are going to get in it. Luckily, most of the dress, night dress, is covered in a different and much less adorable apron as opposed to the one she wore in the heart attack episode. Hold on, let, let me go back a little bit. I couldn't hear what they were saying over Blanche's outfit. The gals are still debating their vacation location. Blanche is still, I am not going to New York for vacation, while Rose says she wouldn't mind because she's actually never been. Sophia turns from the kitchen sink to sarcastically act surprised that Rose has never been to New York, saying, but you're so cosmopolitan, meaning worldly and sophisticated, which Rose kind of clearly isn't. Coco. Hey, babe. Have you ever been to New York? Once in my life. Would you like to share? Yes, I would. I attended the city of New York for the very first time for our other podcast, Murder in the Rain. And we went to uh, go to HLN to do some interviews and see the premiere of Forensic Files 2. And I went with you. That's right. And we were there for, how long were we there? Five days? Six days? Something like that, like a week, yeah. And it was the greatest trip of my life. It, it completely subverted my expectations of what New York was going to be like yes. and what New Yorkers were going to be like. Yes. And how I would feel when I was there. Yes. And it truly was magical and i see i i understand the the draw yes. of new york manhattan it was amazing we just took a whole day and saw almost everything of like tourist stuff yeah it was so cool the people were so cool so many pe everyone was willing to talk yeah in the nicest way the impression of new york is that everyone's going to be a dick but yeah everyone i'm I mean, I, I, I swear to God, I think every person we met in New York was great. Yeah. I honestly, there's not one. Even the frozen yogurt guy that was like trying to bilk us out of $50 <laughs> yeah. for frozen yogurt was nice. He was very cool. Yeah. The guy that, that offered me cocaine. Super nice. Super polite. Outside the TGI Fridays. <laughs> when it comes to New York, Blanche won't have it. Now, in her defense, this was the mid-80s in New York, especially Manhattan, which wasn't exactly the tourist trap it is now. It was a much different and much more dangerous place. And while Frank Sinatra did love singing about it, he was actually from New Jersey. Rose then gets an idea in her head and a gleam in her eye. What if they went the other direction and went to Hollywood? I love Sophia's response, not only because it's like New York and Hollywood, same difference, but that she's reading the lines written by Hollywood comedy writers while standing in Hollywood saying, yeah, Hollywood, no sickos there. Blanche finishes her oatmeal cooking and asks Sophia to take the planning more seriously, you know, for the trip she isn't invited to go on. Sophia, of course, makes it dramatic, comparing it to Cinderella and her evil stepsisters. Rose starts to make her argument for Hollywood. She says she's always wanted to go, and back home, she was even called a young Barbara Billingsley. This gets what I can only describe as a face role from Blanche, as Barbara Billingsley was the mom from Leave It to Beaver. And while she and Rose did share a similar look, the term was more likely used because Rose is such a goody two-shoes, not such a good actress. Rose continues, ignoring Blanche's face and her sarcastic attitude when she asks, and what did he say? In response to Rose sharing, she asked to take acting classes when she was a teen, and her dad said no. Great story, Rose. I seriously love the way that Blanche delivers that line. Yeah. Just, I, I, it's fun, too. Even in the first season, it's only 11 episodes in, that they're, they, they have... Uh, ebbs and flows with how much they are tolerating Rose yeah. at any particular time. Yes. And that's very funny. This is one where she's obviously been 
talking a lot recently, <laughs> and they've had it. And I really like that. It's a great, it's like a great little B-plot, you know? Uh-huh. It's really funny. Yeah. And you can tell, especially with Blanche, her words get really short and sharp. Yeah. And what did he say? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's when she's just like, I have had it. Or like, she's almost mad at herself for inquiring. Like, why can't I just leave this alone and leave it hanging? Yeah, they always must poke it. Yes. They have to find out what, what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love that, yeah. <laughs> Blanche has swirled her spoon around her oatmeal long enough to realize that Hollywood might actually make for a good vacation. So with two against one, they have decided they'll tell Dorothy the good news when she comes in for breakfast. As Rose and Blanche cheers their orange juice to Hollywood, a booming voice of, Good morning, causes them to both spit take. They both convincingly make the sounds and motions, but the juice, in this case, is not on the loose. The bluster of a morning greeting came from the not-supposed-to-be-there-in-the-morning Stan. Stan, who is six foot five, is confidently wearing Dorothy's pink silk robe. Luckily, Dorothy dresses so big for her body, otherwise the ladies might be getting some sausage for breakfast, if you catch my drift. His penis. <laughs> At 11 years B. Arthur's junior, Herb Edelman is actually the youngster in real life. And like B, Herb grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He wanted to become a veterinarian, but like B, he went into the military, doing radio work with the Army. Herb had an extensive television and film career before passing away from emphysema in 1996 at only 62 years old and only four years after Golden Girls ended. With films under his belt like The Flint, The Odd Couple, and The Way We Were, it was no wonder he went on to have a successful television career, including gigs on The Flying Nun, Bewitched, Mission Impossible, The Partridge Family, Happy Days, Chips, Charlie's Angels, Matlock, La La, and Maud, where he first worked with B. His role on Golden Girls earned him back-to-back Emmy nominations and would give him a few episodes on Golden Palace, the spin-off series. As the ladies clean themselves off, Stan makes his way through the kitchen, realizing their reaction was maybe more surprise than he expected. Once again, we're treated to a new look as he has gone casual and doesn't have his hair on. Coco, you are a fellow bald man. How dare you out me? <laughs> well, I know. You, well, you have a hat in the picture on our. <laughs> I do. Yes, I am. Proudly. Proudly. And you look great. Thank you, you wear it well. Did you ever, maybe when you were first losing your hair or once it was all gone, did you ever consider like a toupee or anything like that? While it was happening, like mid-20s till, you know, a couple years ago, I just sort of didn't ignore it, but I never thought about the end game. I kind of thought my end game would be like, I will have to shave my head. Right. And I was a lot heavier at the time and I was not happy about that prospect because I didn't like the shape of anything on my body except my little buns. <laughs> and I, um, so I was, I was, I dreaded it. I knew it was coming and I thought I would look awful when it happened, but didn't. But here you are. Wow. You've seen the illustration people. That is accurate. For real. I look like that guy. I don't have that robe though, <laughs> but I do have that hat. It's sitting right you in do. front of me right now with a bunch of M&Ms piled on it. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes. I'll take a picture and we'll put that up on our blog. <laughs> when Stan, while pouring himself a cup of coffee, asks to borrow the phone, a fed-up Sophia that is just trying to go on a damn vacation points out, hey, you used my daughter, why not use the phone? Rose gets a look like Stan is a leftover robber from the break-in episode and tells him to use the phone in the living room, even though there's one just a few feet away from him right there in the kitchen. Dorothy comes in, and while she acknowledges the situation immediately, she doesn't enter the kitchen all shameful or bashful. She enters it with the swagger a woman in a seven-foot-long christening dress nightgown should have. She owns that she and Stan slept together. Earlier, Blanche looked like a character from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Just The poofy. high collar, yeah. the poof. Yeah. She's hiding a couple of little puncture wounds on her neck. She's feeling <laughs> wan. The girls are surprised Stan is there, especially with how Dorothy would talk about not only him as a person, but him as a terrible lover. Blanche can't believe Dorothy fell for the old, my wife left me line. She hears it all the time. And according to Sophia, it always works. 
Once again, making her marriage sound miserable, Dorothy says it was a one thing leads to another situation. That just like old times, they were in bed, she was holding him, he was crying. And to top it off, that hot young wife of his hadn't even taught him any new moves in the bedroom. Crying, pity sex with your ex who doesn't even have something new to offer. Wah, wah. Stan is a f***ing mess. Yes. He's kind of a smooth talker and he gets away with shit because they, people are always like, he's dumb. He's, they underestimate he's, him. He's pathetic. He has like broken bird syndrome. Yeah. Oh, I flew into your window mm-hmm. and my wing won't work. Oh. Have you been b- victim to a few broken birds in your Constantly. As Dorothy promises the girls this was a one-time thing with a favorite new term of mine, comfortable stranger, she leaves the kitchen only to overhear Stan on the living room phone ordering roses and a card implying that, contrary to her beliefs, they are in fact getting back together. Can this dude get consent for one damn thing around here? Dorothy backs into the kitchen with a look of, what have I done? Comfortable stranger is your album title. And your fragrance. Yes. And book. Mm -hmm. Memoir. Video game. App. (laughs) It's a hookup app called Comfortable Stranger. Mm. Trademarked. It's the next day and Dorothy is walking into the house with a box of flowers. Another one. To go with the ten or so other dozen that are already in the house. Rose informs her that she and Blanche are headed to the travel agent to get their Hollywood plans in place, but it looks like the two-against-one idea didn't exactly pan out, as Dorothy refuses to take a vacation that is just a tourist trap, looking at houses that might be Lucille Balls, from I Love Lucy. But Dorothy, or rather B, would have no problem finding Lucy's house. They had actually worked together in the 1974 film Mame, A film so bad that Lucy refused to ever make another film, and she didn't. B even went on to say that she shouldn't have taken the role, nor should Lucy, that her age was not right for the film. On second thought, maybe she wouldn't know where Lucy's house was. Have you ever seen Mame? I have not seen Mame. Now, is it M-A-M-E or M-A-I-M? M-A-M-E. Okay, so it's like a a person's name. That's a pretty lame name. Mame? It's a lame mame name. That's not cool. So Lucy's character was supposed to be like this young woman, but in 74 or whatever, she was not. Like 50 or something? And one of the reviews I read was like, it was so distracting going back because her lens was so soft. They were like, you're trying to watch through a pile of Vaseline to see Lucy and then everything else is clear and pretty. And then you get to her like... Like breaking the fourth wall distracting. Yeah. Not just like, oh, she's kind of in soft focus, but just like <laughs> basically trying to not see her. Nothing against her, but at 74, she's not exactly a hot property. Why would she be? I'm not sure. Why? And what's uh, another little interesting tidbit is that Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote, she played Mame on Broadway. And it was apparently like this huge hit. Obviously, they're making it into a movie. And Lucy went one day and was like, hey, your performance is so great. And I'm just here to watch. And this is really amazing. And then Angela Lansbury later said she looked over and Lucy was like to the side of the stage taking notes on how she was acting. And she in that moment, she's like, oh, I'm not getting the part for the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just like Lucy had pull still. Yeah. And was like, I want to do this yeah, thing. She's royalty. Yeah. Sean Connery. Made was it Van Helsing? No, he did the League, League of, Extraordinary of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Anytime you have these people, I mean, Lucy is like queen of queens, comedy goddess, and to have people in their careers with something so bad they don't ever want to do it again, I hate that. It's so sad. So with Dorothy putting her foot down, Blanche does the same and refuses New York. Rose wants in on the demands, but she has only one request, to go somewhere where Americans aren't spit on. Dang, Rose looks so cute here. She's wearing a blue dress with a collar popped up and an earring necklace set of lighter blue jewelry that is so costumey, I'm shocked my Grammy didn't own it. It is all just absolutely adorable. Rose suggests Dorothy should go with them to the travel agent, you know, since they can't all agree on a destination, but Dorothy can't. She's waiting for Stan. Well, that does it for Rose. How could you say you hate someone, then be getting flowers from them? Or go out to sign papers and end up sleeping together? 
Or why won't Dorothy just tell Stan how she feels? And another thing, how do thermoses work? Well, Rose, I'm no Mr. Wizard, a.k.a. Don Herbert, the scientist that hosted the children's show Mr. Wizard on and off from 1951 to 1990. But I can tell you that thermoses work because between the outside of the thermos and the inner lining, there is a small vacuum space that has no air, therefore keeping the hot air in and holding it out if you have something cold. Dorothy then opens up to the girls. She's as frustrated as they are. She doesn't want to hurt the feelings of the father of her children, but she knows she needs to create boundaries. But to make the conversation she needs to have with him even more complicated, Dorothy isn't even sure what those boundaries should be. They had a long, sometimes loving marriage. The emotions are complicated. As Blanche and Rose go to leave, Stan arrives. They give him a weirdly cold shoulder, I guess because they've heard all the stories from Dorothy and have a much different opinion of him than Dorothy does. She's just too close to the situation to see she needs to get away now. Stan says the girls don't need to leave just because he's there. Dorothy, even more salty because she's feeling emotional, says, no, they gotta go, they're driving the house to the Rose Parade, a parade that happens January 1st in Pasadena, California, so the girls better start driving. I used to go to the Rose Parade when I was a boy. Oh, fun. While driving to California would be helpful in starting their vacation in Hollywood, everyone just kind of stands around awkwardly before the ladies pass Stanley, giving him the most stink eye. Stan begs for appreciation of his roses, a very Jeb Bush, please clap moment. To get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. His pathetic need for adoration continues as he actually bitches to the woman he just bought hundreds of flowers for without her asking for them how expensive flowers are. Wow, thanks for the gift? Dorothy is used to his scuzzy ways and points out that since President Harry Truman left office in 1953, a president that created very little debt while in office, yes, things have gone up in price. It also implies that Stan hasn't sent Dorothy flowers for like 30 years. As Dorothy ignores how tacky Stan is, we learn that their unexpected rendezvous was just the night before. Wow, florists work really fast in Miami. It's because of all the cocaine. While Dorothy wants to say what they did was a mistake, she can't before Stan suggests they get back together. And before she can even answer that, her mother comes in with a parade of six other similarly aged women from her, I'm assuming, newly developed vacation club, a.k.a. bitter mothers that weren't invited on vacation with their adult children. In a vaudevillian freak show manner, she shows off Dorothy and Stan, the divorced couple that slept together which no one in Sophia's club has heard of anyone doing before. But come on, hooking up with an ex? We've all been there, so lay off, Sophia. Also, if she thinks this little stunt is going to help her get invited on vacation... Have you ever hooked up with an ex? Hmm, yes. (laughs) Most of them. With Sophia pointing at the unexplainable Stan, Dorothy suggests they move their conversation to the kitchen so they can get some privacy. Stan once again forgetting Dorothy's request to not have pet names. Where do you stand on pet names? I don't think there's anything wrong with a pet name as long as it's unique Mm. and there's a reason for it. Yeah. Calling a babe is pretty lame. But if it's uh, like a friend of mine, his uh, partner's, his nickname for his partner is Nipples. That's cute. Which is pretty cute. (laughs) Yeah. You're in the grocery store. Nip. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it comes up that much, but yeah. That's a cute one. Yeah, that is cute. So yeah, as long as it's, I think it's got to be a reference, probably a private joke, and it's got to be easy to say. Yeah. Like bip or something. (laughs) Can you say baby boy? Um, Baby boy. Yeah, because Beyonce did. Oh, good. Baby boy, you've been on my mind. Come on, girl, tell me what you feel. Dorothy is spiraling after Stan's very casual, let's get the band back together. She brings up very valid points like, number one, we're divorced. Number two, just like that? Number three, you were the one that left and cheated. Stan starts using the time they had as a couple as some sort of barometer for why they should be together, as if 38 mediocre years means you should continue adding to the clock. Recently, I started viewing relationships very differently. It used to be when I would hear of, say, like a celebrity couple breaking up, my first instinct would be, oh no, that's so sad, they were together forever. 
But as I've gotten older, I am much more lenient. I hear about a breakup and think, good for them for doing what they needed to. Who knows what was going on between them? I hope this is for the best for both of them, not, well, they should be together because they had almost 40 years together. A bit of a spoiler, or perhaps it's a plot whoopsie, or perhaps this episode is just determined to make me hate Stan. While making his argument of why they should be together, he says, I can't believe one mistake, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's talk about that one mistake. That one mistake was huge. You left your wife after cheating on her. Abandonment is not an accident. Number two, as we'll learn in future episodes, okay, if somehow you found the show and haven't watched every episode, maybe mute for like five seconds. We learn in a future episode that this wasn't a one-time thing. He had affairs all over the place. So even while trying to coerce Dorothy back into a relationship, he's not being honest. I don't want to hate Stan, though. You know, though, it's like balance, right? You need a Stan to have a Dorothy. That's true. You need a Lex Luthor to have a Superman. Well, and you made a very valid point. Do you want to talk about it right now? Yeah, so in the scene where he's trying to convince her to get back together with him... It struck me as her inner voice, her inner monologue and her doubts and her self-esteem, all of the um, all of the resistance that we come up against, uh, especially when it comes to exes and the way that we used to feel about ourselves and them, I think that they can try to like rope us back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes our minds can do it without even that influence. But that, you know. Yeah, I thought that was a great point that basically Stanley is kind of her saboteur. Yeah. You could almost say, picture that scene where they're sitting there talking, picture that, that he's not actually there. Yeah. You know, she's maybe just having a sad day. You know, I don't care how long you've been divorced. If you were married for a chunk of time and you're divorced, you're going to have sad days. So you could almost picture and be like, okay, she's sitting at the table, you know, playing with the flowers and just in her head is like, oh, we could have had an antique store and we could have had that property. Should I have sold the property? You know, it is that inner doubt especially you're an older woman that you don't want to be alone when you're older regret yeah yeah yeah. so I really like that idea of he's really only there to vocalize her fears and then she has to overcome them that he's there and that she's going to get stronger from it Uh uh-huh and that she's going to push him away because he came close truly it's truly like a haunting Mm -hmm. like this ghost that won't leave her and is trying to like you are going to be alone and look Mm -hmm. we could have all these things if you'd put up with my bad behavior and it is just like a haunting where it like starts to affect her Mm -hmm. and it affects the house that she lives in too i mean it's like an instant there is an instant change in the house when he is floating around in that robe yeah yeah Hmm. Hmm. think about it everybody relationships (laughs) are tough (laughs) don't be in bad ones Continuing to not understand why Dorothy would have trust issues, Stan continues passing the blame by pointing out he was going through a midlife crisis. According to The Atlantic, the term midlife crisis was presented by Canadian Elliot Jacks at a meeting of the British Psychoanalytical Society. According to the physician and psychoanalyst, he had been studying patients and famous artists and found that around the mid-30s, people start to experience a depressive period that can sometimes last for years. While artists take the depression to the extreme at times, regular folks do things like get sports cars, have affairs, obsess over their looks and age, and seek their purpose. Almost like you're not over the hill, but you're looking down on the slope ahead and feeling really bummed out about your own mortality. While Dr. Elliot, oh my God, Dr. Elliot? Wait, no, not that one. While this Dr. Elliot Jacks coined the term midlife crisis, he wasn't the first to talk about it. In Dante's Divine Comedy, there's a 35-year-old character that states, Midway upon my journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. Stan, while you may be trying to point out you were just living your life and making childlike midlife crisis mistakes, you were in your 50s. Ain't no midlife about that. Unless you're my grandpa and you're going to live to be 99. As Stan continues to beg Dorothy to hear him while simultaneously not listening to Dorothy, he goes on and on and on about all the dreams they had, which he shattered. 
And now they should be together because they slept together. So, like, they both want it, right? Dorothy is tending to yet another vase of, I think, yellow roses, which represent friendship, and looking sorrowful and contemplative as Stan paints a beautiful picture. Stop the sale of the swamp property, open an antique shop, live the life they always wanted. We could start over, forget that I hurt you, we could take a cruise. Speaking of, did you know the Golden Girls cruise is taking off in January? Coco and I will be there and would love to see you there too. Get your tickets now at goldenfansatsea.com. Maybe a little ship horn. <laughs> I think swamp property should be a term for the bullshit that you have with, between you and an ex. I love that. Your swamp property. I love that. Like, oh, he's coming over. He wants to talk about whatever. Oh, he, he wants so, to talk about our swamp property. You know what? I have swamp property in my garage I right now. I know you do. I've seen it. <laughs> it, was supposed to, it was supposed to be gone before, but then, you know, COVID happened. But I got some swamp property I got to get rid of. Yeah. That's great. In a classic narcissistic, controlling, emotionally damaging attachment disorder fashion, Stan points out how there's so much Dorothy wants to do, but she can't do it on her own, which just goes to show how well he doesn't know her. She doesn't need a man for anything. Stan leaves begging and declaring his love while also subconsciously declaring his pathetic inability to be alone. Dorothy quietly rises, contemplating everything Stan said. When she leaves the kitchen, she finds the living room is still full of Sophia's Vacation Club. Oh my god, we need Sophia's Vacation Club shirts for the cruise. Maybe we can make some, and then we'll give some to our listeners so only the cool kids on the cruise know what's up. <laughs> anyway, the seven ladies are awkwardly arranged like a match game panel, four on the couch, three behind it, as opposed to, you know, sitting in the chairs. When Sophia declares that, by a vote, it has been decided Dorothy should not get back with Stan. We transition to the evening with one of my favorite transition choices, the pull back from the crescent moon over the house. I don't know if that was planned or they just went to go do an evening shoot outside of the house, which is in California and doesn't even come close to having the same layout as we see in the show. Oh, and the new owners put a very unwelcoming fence around it, which I get because it's your house, but then like don't buy it if you aren't going to be 100% into it. I would have turned it into a museum for crying out loud. Anyway, I love the moonshot, and it feels like they just got lucky when taking some B-roll. Rose and Blanche are in the kitchen with a mountain of food in front of them, tempting the strength of the undoubtedly thin legs of that dinette table. They have the quarter of the chocolate cake that was clearly left over from the Heart Attack episode's dinner party, a fruit bowl, a bowl of grapes, a jar of green olives, a slab of some sort of meat, of course, of plate of Oreos, and by my best guess, a 400-ounce jar of mustard. There's literally nothing on that table that would require mustard, nor does a home require a jar that size for, well, any reason. We can fight about it, but you'll lose. Nay, nay, I say. <laughs> uh, you'd put mustard on that meat, meat hunk, which is, I think it's a ham. But I didn't see any bread, so it's not like they're making a sandwich. Yeah, you, that's true. What, you're just going to dip ham in mustard? No, you have like a butter knife and you spread it on the ham. And then you put the ham into your mouth. <laughs> and, and you, you just chew the ham. You just, you're going to eat mustardy ham? I actually would not eat ham mustard on ham. I'm going to delete all of this and <laughs> no, cancel the okay. show. Canceling the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. The girls are ready to talk about everything going on with Stan. And like good friends, they already have the food out so they can get straight to it. That is a real moment right there. There have definitely been ladies' nights of my own where the food has been ordered while people were en route so we could get to the emotional stuff right away, but not have to worry about getting hangry on top of it. Dorothy plays dumb like she doesn't know what the girls want to talk about before sharing she hasn't decided what to do about Stan. That they have nearly 40 years of their lives together, during which they were happy at times, and it's hard to throw it all away, but becomes easier when she thinks of how badly he hurt her. He left her without any trust. And if you can't trust your partner, what kind of relationship is that? And with that few seconds of talking aloud to her friends that were willing to listen, she realizes how she truly feels. Dorothy doesn't get emotional. She knows it's the right decision. And now she has to break it to Stan. Quick tip. Yeah. For the listener. Oh. Sometimes the best way to figure out a problem 
uh, is to verbalize it either by yourself or, or with another person. The end. That sometimes is all it takes is yes. to say it out loud or write it on a piece of paper or a dry erase board or something. And when you see it, it's real. And when it's real, you can vanquish it. Wow. Bye. Blanche makes the suggestion of don't be gentle. Gentle equals they'll keep pushing. This, of course, makes room for Rose to tell not so much a St. Olaf story, but a story with a lot of St. Olaf flair. She relates because she tried to be gentle in dumping Eddie, who she met while working the USO circuit while Charlie was off to war. The USO is the United Service Organization. They are a charity that provides entertainment to the troops overseas. Entertainers like Bob Hope. Save that nugget of info for later. As Rose goes on, we get an oh boy as she reveals that Eddie, who had a crush on her, was an aqua midget. And I'm sorry to use that word because I know it is outdated. The correct wording would be little person. And no, Eddie wasn't blue. He was a diving little person. While Rose started out by trying to connect to the ladies from personal experience, we get lost in the story of Eddie and his diving antics. Blanche gives us another oh boy as Dorothy, but really B, appears to be already cracking a bit. And when Rose says Eddie was falling for her, Blanche, cracker in hand, throws in a he didn't have far to fall. And when it started with little things, according to Rose, it's met with an I bet. This is hard because it is a funny scene, but it is in poor taste to laugh at someone just because of their height or disability. So that's why it gets a big ol' oh boy. Blanche and Dorothy keep entertaining each other with height quips, but Rose doesn't even notice. She's too enthralled with her own story. I really can't tell if Bee and Rue are actually breaking here or they're just really good actresses. When Rose reveals that she had to break his heart, not because of his size, but because she couldn't date an entertainer, Dorothy makes the funniest, tight-lipped, sourpuss, holding-in-a-laugh face. It is so good. Baffled and not any closer to an answer for how to break the news to Stan, Dorothy thanks Rose for sharing and literally has nothing to say about it. We join Stan in his hotel room, a pathetic display of living space compared to the sprawling rooms in the house. Stan, clearly desperate to win Dorothy over because he's not being his usual cheap self, has had room service bring some fruit and champagne to celebrate. Once again, showing how good of a listener he is, Stan is waiting to celebrate because Dorothy asked to come to the hotel and talk. And from that, he decided they were getting back together. As Dorothy starts to speak, Stan mistakes it for a toast, saying, usually the man does it. Damn it, Stanley, stop being a jerk. Before Dorothy can finish her thought or drink, there's a knock at the door. Thinking it's his undies coming back from the laundry because single Stan can't do anything on his own, he's shocked when he opens the door to find it's Chrissy, the estranged wife. She's elated to see whom she calls Big Stan open the door. Big Daddy, Big Stan... What is up with the big nicknames in this show? She also throws in a stick man, which doesn't allude to anything, um, big, but is probably more a reference to them going to the casino, as a stick man is the guy with the stick at a craps table. I thought maybe it was like a stick man, like a, like a pilot or something. Like he's really good on the stick. Oh. Like he's like, like Top Gun status, but he isn't. He isn't. This ends up being kind of a weird moment as Chrissy sees Dorothy on the bed and asks who she is. Stan says, it's my ex-wife, Dorothy. And Chrissy doesn't even flinch that her husband is already in a hotel room with champagne and his ex-wife. And she also acts like she's never even heard of him having an ex-wife. Maybe she was just asked to play the 80s dumb blonde thing. Chrissy is played by actress Simone Griffith. Her first acting gig was in 1971 in the film Swamp Girl. Oh, like their swamp property. I didn't put that together before. Before getting into some rad 70s shows like Startsky and Hutch, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Incredible Hulk, Three's Company, and Hawaii Five-O. Since Golden Girls, she has been in a handful of films, working most recently in 2017. Chrissy begs Stan to come back to her, that she's all alone in her big, silk-sheeted waterbed. Coco, did you ever have a waterbed, or do you have thoughts on waterbed? Never have I had a waterbed. Never would I have, have a waterbed. Have you slept? Bed. <laughs> I've, I've okay, sat, Sam, I am. <laughs> I've sat on a waterbed 
maybe twice. I didn't care for it. I don't like the idea of sleeping on a big bag of water. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like you could get comfortable. It doesn't seem like it would. I just hate it. It's just like all the maintenance. I, I learned from you that you have to burp them. It's... I feel concerned because looking back, like my family was a waterbed family for a very long time. My parents and I all had water beds. Really my brother didn't because he was born in the 90s. I had a waterbed until I moved to Vegas. So like 2007. Wow. Isn't that crazy? It's or 2004, I guess. Or early 2000. Too long to have still had one. I did love it, though, because I'm a water person. And if like you couldn't sleep, you literally could kind of move your body and it would like rock you to sleep a little bit. But yeah, if you moved, the whole bed yeah. moved. If you rolled over, whoa, it was a whole. I don't know how my parents shared a water bed for like 30 years. And yeah, you have to burp them. You got to put chemicals in it so it doesn't get stinky. You have a heater. I then, as I got older, but was still a dumb teenager, the you have a heating pad under it. So that keeps the water hot. Mine broke and I didn't and I knew it would cost money. So I didn't want to tell anyone so I slept on cold water for like multiple years. And I think it like it, I remember it hurting my body. <laughs> like I would wake up sore as a teenager. And then uh, one time I had emptied it and I needed to refill it. And I thought, oh, that's going to take hours. And I went and hopped in the shower and came back. And it was it looked like a scoop of ice cream in a cup. The oh bed frame God. being the cup, mm -hmm. big old scoop of waterbed ice cream on top. And then I was like, oh, and I was so scared. And so we were so careful to make sure it didn't explode, but it started leaking. It ruined a lot of my stuff. And that was the end of my waterbed. They have kind of a creep vibe to them 100%. that I recognize now. It's like having a circular bed. To where I'm like spins. concerned that that was my family's lifestyle. The heart in Stan's pants takes over for the one in his chest as he looks back to Dorothy with a what do you want me to do, not sleep with her face? Dorothy, not one to take anything personally, takes the opportunity as an out. She doesn't need to bring Stan down or be the one to end things. She can say, go ahead and walk away without anything getting messy, except maybe the waterbed. Stan passes the proverbial torch of a champagne glass to Chrissy as she says goodbye to Stickman. I really love in this moment that Dorothy's beautiful purple cover blouse thing matches the huge painting up above the bed in the hotel room. Chrissy happily explains that flying to Miami from Maui wasn't a big deal since she's a stewardess, now referred to as a flight attendant, as Stan starts to share that he and Dorothy fell back in love and that he and Chrissy's relationship was just superficial. But then he starts to talk about the sex and how good it was and how much better it was than when he's with Dorothy. Stan thinks he's letting her down easy by saying they basically had a sham, empty, sex-only, surface-level relationship. This is met with a throw of the champagne to his face. Dirty champagne, dirty bastard. That's for my Sex in the City fans. And a dad joke of, she never could hold her liquor. I feel like I know this answer, Coco, because I know you as a person, but have you ever had a drink thrown in your face by a lover? Or even a stranger? No. That's never, that could never happen to me. He says with confidence. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it, uh, <laughs> it's never happened, but I'm, you know, I'm only 41. There's still time. There's still time. Once again, Stan's lack of communication and making decisions before talking to people has left him without Chrissy and with Dorothy who is about to break some news, that she's grateful there wasn't anything between him and Chrissy because she won't feel so bad letting him down, telling him she isn't the person he was married to. She has grown and changed. As Stan starts to realize where the conversation is going, his confusion and just a sprinkle of anger grows, as does his concern for how much time it's been since Chrissy left, and he has got to go get her before someone else realizes how hot she is and he loses her. And in what could be Stan's tagline slash life motto, he pops his head back into the room to tell Dorothy, hey, terrific sex is better than nothing. And he walks away to find his wife. Dorothy cheers herself on the hotel bed. Here's to terrific sex and the dumb blonde who isn't going to be getting any. 
Cheers to you, Dorothy, for being strong enough to know that having Stan around would have been a nice way to not feel lonely, but that his boundary-crossing, lying, cheating, toxic ways are beneath you and would only hold you over for so long. We've all been there. Had that ex, be it after six months or 40 years, that just has a hold on you. Be it from time, bonding, or just chemistry, saying a final goodbye can feel impossible, especially when there is great sex involved. There's no right or wrong answer when it comes to getting back with an ex, and while you should talk to other people or maybe just sit around a Costco-sized jar of mustard with your friends and verbalize things, know what your expectations are, what your partner's expectations are, and know your own boundaries. If the person did you wrong, that's not okay. But if there was great sex and you know yourself well enough to know you could go there and walk away without hard feelings, then go for it. Either way, take a note from Dorothy's book. Don't worry about a vote. Don't worry about friends' judgment or that they just don't get it. Do what your gut tells you is right. And if they run off with someone else, well, hey, at least you'll have a bottle of champagne to yourself. Be sure to join us next week when we discuss mother-daughter-sister relationships when Dorothy's sister comes to town, and when she leaves, she wants to take Ma with her. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Stanley's Bornak is nothing if not persistent. Through the years, he's had all sorts of gigs, most notably as a novelty salesman. From fake poop to fake flowers, he had it all. Well, just like their namesake, Zbornis Novelties has it all. Well, not fake poop, but if there is anything Golden Girls themed or related, you will find it at ZbornesNovelties.com. That's Z-B-O-R-N-E-E-S-N-O-V-E-L-T-I-E-S. If you are looking for a place to spend all your time and money, look no further. From jewelry inspired by the ladies to home decor and more, you'll find everything you never knew you needed. So check out Zibornese Novelties today. I know. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> is that a movie? Yeah, it's where he has, gets like superpowers and he can like use electricity to move. Zap people. To zap people and like make their tops pop off and whatnot. Oh my God. It's very upsetting. It's very. <laughs> 80s. Bad. Yeah, it's like Revenge of the Nerds bad Ugh. as far as the sexual stuff. <laughs> I wish I could do the ner- Revenge of the Nerds laugh. What's that? It's like an Eddie Murphy laugh. Like that? <laughs> like a donkey? Donkey! 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 <laughs> Winifred Hervey, how dare you? I'd rather have some guy in a hot springs hot tub try to push essential oils on me than like people I went to high school with on Facebook. Yeah. I, I fully second that. <clears throat> <I've>... <laughs> it's all, official. All ponds. All ponds. It's a pond. It's we're just living in a in a pond. Lily pad to lily pad. There you go, being profound again. I'm a little high. <laughs> Not only that, but while there, they bought a pe. <laughs> Officials. Oh, your phone. <laughs> As Sophia reminds Dorothy, <gasps> that sex talk got me all sneezy. <laughs> <laughs> Diarrhea. <laughs> Have I said out loud that diarrhea is like one of my favorite words? Yes. It's such a great word. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's impossible to spell. D-I-A-R-R-H-E-A. Say again. Sophia of a... F- <laughs> Sophia of a... Of course. Sophia of a... F- <laughs> <laughs> such a... That sound is so sad. Sophia of a... Sophia It's like you, you lose the will to live mid-word. And while she and Rose did share a similar look, Look. (laughs) and to top it off, that hot young wife of his hadn't even taught him anything new in form of... mm, New. New in form of (laughs) sex. (laughs) Harse. Thank God. She hasn't figured me out yet. It's kind of like... (laughs) They had actually... Hello? So you guys are watching the parade, and he just starts making out with his coworker. What you chomping on? 
Is that all those M&M's? My hat M&M's. Hat M&M's. That's a real glimpse into me. Yes. <laughs> Big time. Beanie with a bunch of M&M's on it. <laughs> hmm, okay. Bye-bye. I'm sorry. I'm chewing an M&M right now. <laughs> From your hat? From my hat. Lucky. Hold on. I got to... <laughs> what was the question? Uh, where you stand on pet names. I think as long as the... I yeah, just too give much. it a second. I, I, was, I don't know why I was talking. I have like fully have Eminem in my mouth. Uh, here's what mm. I think about it. It's going to be good sound quality. We... This is a thin candy shell. It's okay. With Sean John. Oh, that's what I thought that was. <laughs> yes. Early morning. Yes. Exactly. That thing, girl. <laughs> yeah. Famil. Yeah. <laughs> and he's apparently has a, th- a thin dick. Beep. <laughs> we'll I've see always... you at the Golden Girls Cruise. <laughs> the first person to throw a drink in his face gets a Sophia Vacation Club shirt. <laughs> That's right. Were you conceived on a waterbed? Oh, God, I hope not. My brother probably was. <sighs> this is the one that had to go to the hospital for farts. <laughs> No correlation. <laughs> Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.